Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, John, thanks, buddy. Uh, really excited to get to share with you all today. John encouraged me to start off by just telling you a little bit about my family, and I'm excited to do so. Love them so very much. So we'll throw up a picture real quick. Uh, you'll see my beautiful bride. Uh, that's her right there. That's Jessica. Uh, we've got her down in the front row, nice and uncomfortable in the front row this morning. And, uh, and you'll see, you'll notice um, she won the, the picture battle on, on which picture to take because I look like I've lost all of my hair in this photo, but she looks stunning and gorgeous. That's my wife of eight years now. Uh, and then you'll see our beautiful babies on the other picture. Uh, that is Tinley, Sadie, and Dax. Tinley is four years old. She'll be five here in just another couple of weeks, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, and then Sadie and Dax are our three-year-old twins. So, yep, our lives are super busy. Um, Tinley is just the sweetest little thing uh, you've ever met or known or anything. She's amazing. Like she, she will come home and she will genuinely ask me uh, how my day was. Like she genuinely wants to know since like three years old, she's been asking me how my day was when I got home from work. Uh, she'll see things in stores, whether it's like hunting related or if it's green or a pair of binoculars or something like that. Uh, she, she knows that I like those things and she'll say, uh, Daddy, I'm going to get that for you for your birthday, that that would be a good treat for you. And so she's just the sweetest thing. And then Dax, uh, there is my boy. Uh, he is full boy. Like that, that boy got an extra dose of boy when God made him. Um, he loves everything with a motor, an engine, uh, anything that flies. It, he, he's just full tilt boy. He loves to wrestle. He loves superheroes. Uh, we play fight and wrestle every night. It's one of his favorite things to do with me, one of my favorite things to do with him. And his sister, Sadie, is something else, though, because she likes to she likes to jump in on those wrestling matches, and but she, you gotta you gotta watch her. She's a little bit more like Sour Patch Kid, like where she's uh, she's a little sour and then she's sweet. Like she'll come straight in uh, to the wrestling match, and I'll be laying on the floor and throwing Dax around and all that, and she'll just come in and like step on my face, like just like she wants in on it and she just jumps in, or she'll just catapult into me and like cannonball onto my stomach or something. Uh, and I say, "Oh, sweetie, you can't do that. You got, no, you gotta be sweet. You gotta be sweet. It's too rough." And then she'll just snuggle into me and apologize, right? And she's our little snuggle, but she likes to get up early with me in the mornings, and she kind of crawls out on it with her blankie, and we hang out in the recliner together for a few moments nearly every morning. So uh, she's sweet, or she's sour, and then she's sweet. Sour Patch Kid. Uh, so, but that's my beautiful family, and, uh, and like John had mentioned, I've, we've been in the community for uh, probably going on 18 months, maybe a little over now, and specifically hanging out with Riverside for going on uh, maybe about a year or so. Um, and I got to tell you, like, I am so impressed by this community. Like, this is an amazing place to be. You all are amazing people. And I just want to take the chance, while John gave me the mic, just to say thank you. To say thank you for who y'all are and what y'all do. The way that y'all have invited us into this community. You've come alongside our family. You've welcomed us in. You've shown us nothing but generosity and kindness. And we're just really, really thankful for that. We're thankful that... God has brought us to this place. Um, this is just an amazing place. And so thank you all for that. Thank you for being who you are. And so um, I share a little bit about uh, kind of story uh, or about my family. Um, I'll also tell you uh, back in high school, I was a football guy. John talked about being a, a big guy. Like I was a football guy in high school. That was my kind of MO. Um, if you'd asked me what I was going to do in college, uh, I would have told you, I don't know, I'm going to play football. If you had asked me where I was going to college, I would have said, I don't know, whoever's going to let me go play football for him. Like, that was my thing. I didn't have a ton of structure or support 
at home. And because I didn't have a ton of structure or support at home, I just pushed into athletics. Like that's where I found who I was and, and everything else. And so, but one of my favorite things about playing football was special teams. So coach would put me on the kickoff team. And what that means is when you kick the ball off, you run down the field and you make the tackle on whoever catches it, right? He put me on the kickoff team. And he told, he told me, Leonard, what I want you to do is I want you to run as fast as you can in a straight line. And whoever gets in your way, I want you to lay him out. Like drop the, drop the hammer on him, hit him as hard as you can. And what coach was saying was that he wanted me to uh, blow up the blocks, right? Like you see it on TV if you're watching NFL or anything like that. The, uh, the blockers will run back and then they'll form lines to protect the kick returner, right? And what coach was asking me to do is he wanted me to blow up those blocks so that the skinny fast guys could slip in and make the tackle, you know? And that's what that was okay. Like I signed up for football knowing that I was going to get to hit people and that's what I wanted to do. So that, here we go. That was one of my favorite things. I'll never forget a game against Sci Falls. Um, it was a big team uh, down there in the Houston area. Uh, they had won state like the year prior or the year after or something like that. Really good football team. And uh, we were down, we were getting beat pretty good. We weren't playing all that well and we were getting frustrated, but we had managed to put a couple points on the board. And when we, when we did, you know, kickoff team comes out and I get out there on the field and coach is yelling, make a play, make a play. And you know that in his mind, he's envisioning if we can do a little something, like we can capitalize on this momentum that we have going for us from just scoring a touchdown against this great team, that maybe if we can make a play before halftime, maybe we can get the offense back on the field and we can score again, right? I see he's got this big vision. He's yelling, make a play. He's getting us all excited. So we get to the line. Here we go. Boom. Kick the ball off. And I'm seeing red. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Like, yes, coach, I'm going to make a play for you. I got this, right? I'm running down my lane, right? Because again, special teams, you want everybody to kind of stay in their lanes as they converge on the kick returner. You don't want to move in too quick because if you do, right, you'll collapse the line and the kick returner can run around them, okay? So we're all moving down our lanes. I'm moving down my lane. And I'm doing what coach has asked me to do, right? First row of blockers pops up. Boom, I lay the hit on them, right? Blow up some, blow up the blockers. Everybody's kind of falling over a little bit. I stumble a little bit, but I make my way back up to full speed. Next row of blockers pops up. Boom, I lay the hit on them too. And oh my gosh, I just made it into the backfield. Like I'm still going. Like normally I've gotten hung up by this time, right? But I look up and I make my way back up to full speed and I'm in the backfield. The next thing I know, I connect eyes with the kick returner. He and I lock eyes in this brief moment. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, big body about to make a play. Like, here we go. You know, I'm excited. And I start to think about all the things that I think coach was thinking about, right? If I can lay on this big hit, make a fumble, maybe, like, try to swoop it out of his hand, right? Then maybe uh, the skinny fast guys can pick it up and scoop and score, right? We can capitalize on the momentum, right? I can get this big hit, drop the football, capitalize on the momentum, go into halftime with a couple more points on the board. Maybe we can just turn this thing around. And I'm thinking I can be the guy that can do it. So I've got now what was coach's plan is now my plan. And I see it. I'm envisioning it. And as I start to drift out of my lane in pursuit of making this big play, right, I, it's all unfolding in my mind. Like This is going to happen. This is awesome. This is awesome. And just as I'm getting up there and I'm about to lay on this big hit, right, what happens? Boom, I get ear hold. Like, and I'm, I'm talking like the type of hit where like my feet left the earth, like ear hold. Like I went, and that's where they put the helmet on the side of the head, right? And I just, and I went into orbit. Like I got hit so hard, right? Next thing I know, I hit the ground and I'm looking up and seeing stars like Wiley Coyote. And I have no idea what just happened, but I just got knocked out by something I never saw coming. 
when I look back at that story, I can see that I got really excited about making a play. I got really excited about this really good thing. Like, making a play is a good thing, right? Like, that's awesome. Um, and I wanted to do that. Like, I was excited about it, and I started to drift out of my lane in pursuit of this good thing, of making a big play. And in doing so, I forgot that there are 11 other guys out on the field looking to take me out. Like, I forgot that I had a job to do, and I drifted, and because of that drift, I got earholed and leveled and knocked out of the play, right? And how often is that true, that in our lives, that in the midst of a, a busy season like this one that we are going going into now, right? Like we're all gearing up and preparing for back to school stuff. So teachers are firing up. They're getting ready. Uh, kids are firing back, right? Getting up and, and going now. Um, well, we got, we got soccer practices in the evenings with the kids. Like all of these really great things are coming up. Like maybe you're pushing into ministry this season, right? With the youth stuff popping back up. Uh, maybe you're pushing into work this season. All of these really good things. How true is it? that in the midst of these good things in the busy seasons, that we can start to drift a little bit. I see that this is true in my life, and I see that it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a thing that I, I struggle with on a regular basis, if I'm being really, really honest. Like, I'm a get-it-done kind of guy, and I'm a, like, pick myself up by my bootstraps. Like, I lean into busy seasons, and I get stuff done when it gets busy and hard, and I go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And then I, when, I, when I slow down enough to think about it and reflect, I see that I have drifted away from the right thing, from investing time in my relationship with Jesus, that I have drifted away from those right things because of the good things. And those good things are still good. Like those are really, if if your family is like mine, like we've got uh, a ton of stuff popping up and coming up for us this season. Like, and we even have a list of the things that we missed last fall that we don't want to miss this fall. Like, we, these are really good things, things that we should be excited for. But how often do those good things, and how easy is it for the good things to cause us to drift and pull away from the right things? And so my big prayer for us today is that we would be encouraged with a few things to remember as we get ready to go into this really busy, crazy time in our world to help us avoid getting so focused on the good things that we drift away from the right things. So to start off today, we're going uh, to stand together here in just a moment and say the Shema. It is something that is a tradition of this church. We're going to say the first few lines in Hebrew. Um, if you're new or visiting and this is different for you, um, that's okay. Uh, I would just challenge you, you know, embrace it as one of those uh, special family traditions uh, that is unique to us. But it's something that helps us prepare our hearts for worship. And when I was new and visiting, like this is something that caught me off guard too. Um, but I would challenge you, don't, don't let it catch you off guard. Um, instead, just embrace it as one of those unique family things. And so if you will, please stand with me and let's say the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai and Kai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love the neighbor as yourself. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So the first thing that I want to encourage us with today is that as things get busy, we have got to remember to fill up with the Father. 
my uh, buddy uh, drives an F-350. He just recently upgraded, and that is an impressive vehicle. Like, that thing is really sweet. It has a 48-gallon tank. He can go 700 miles before filling up. Like, that's insane, right? I think it, I think it even gets, like, uh, 18, 19 miles to the gallon. Plus my, like, that's what my Tacoma gets when I'm really pushing my Tacoma. Like, that's impressive, right? Um, but the reason why he got the truck, the reason why he has an F-350, is because he hitches a 20,000-pound trailer to it every single week. And he pulls it across the state, and on the summer months, they go out and travel the west and all that stuff. It's, it's really awesome. So you better believe when he hitches the 20,000-pound trailer to that truck, like some things change, right? We go from that 18, 19 miles per gallon to like, uh, I don't know, like six or seven, <laughs> you know? Like uh, he goes from having to fill up once every 700 miles to filling up like significantly more often. And isn't that true in our life that in the, in the midst of busy seasons, like when, that, when, when we're towing and pulling heavy loads, we got a lot going on, isn't it true that we need to fill up more often? Because what happens if we don't? If we don't fill up just like that truck, when, we're, when he's pulling and he's only running six or seven miles to the gallon, if he, doesn't, if he tries to fill up like he was not pulling, right, he's going to end up broke down out of gas on the side of the road. right? And the same is true for us in our lives, that when we are pulling a heavy load in the midst of busy seasons, we've got to remember to slow down and fill up with the Father. We see this in Scripture. Jesus sets an incredible example for us as his ministry gets bigger and bigger, um, as he is reaching more and more people. He has to, we see him that it's a more and more regular thing for him to slow down, and he seeks silence and solitude to go be with the Father. If we look at Matthew. 14, 22, 23, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to that scripture. If you're taking notes, pull out those pens and get ready. Um, 14, 22, 23, immediately after this, and what this is, is Jesus took five loaves of, of, of bread and, and two fish. This is, uh, he just gets done doing this incredible miracle where he takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he blesses them he multiplies them and he feeds over 5,000 people. That's what this is in this scripture. So after this big miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the, while he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell and he was there alone. Here we see Jesus after this big miracle. What does he do? He sends the people home and he steps away from his disciples. Some of the most important people in his world at the time, the people that would later carry the gospel to the nations. He steps away from his ministry, the, the most important ministry of all time, to go seek silence and solitude and to refill with the Father. What a great example of that that is in scripture for us that when we forget to step away and make time to fill up with the Father, we can run out of gas. And take note of this kind of sense of urgency. Like, this is a priority for Jesus. If we look in the scripture, it says immediately after this, Jesus insisted. Like, there is a sense of urgency about this verse. Like, this was a priority for him. How often do we go in our lives 
from one big thing to the next, to the next, to the next, when things get busy. Here we see Jesus slowing down after this big feat, this big miracle that he has just performed. But he he prioritizes the slowdown to go connect back with the Father. If I'm being honest, like this is one of the quickest ways I drift in my life, in my walk, is that when things get busy in my world, I mentioned it, I push into that busyness and I can stop and I can lift my head up and realize that I have only had a handful of quiet times. And I'm like, when I say quiet times, I mean like intentional quiet times with, with Jesus over the course of, you know, the few weeks that it's been crazy and busy. Like This is the quickest way for me to drift off course. And isn't that true that when our lives get busier, when the load gets heavier, we have to prioritize filling up with God or else we're going to end up out of gas and broke down on the side of the road. So I'm going to pray this season that as we're blowing and going and going everywhere, that uh, every time you stop to fill up your vehicle, uh, I'm going to pray that, that this is a, that that moment would be a reminder for you to ask God to also fill you up during those few small minutes of pumping gas, right? Instead of going in to grab Kit Kat bar or whatever the case may be, instead of going in to grab the Red Bull, right? That you sit tight on that tank and, uh, and that you would pray for, for God to also fill you up. That that would be a reminder and an encouragement for us to remember to slow down enough to fill back up with the Father. Second point I want to make today um, that I'd like to share with you guys is that uh, we can't do it alone. When, when the seasons get busy, when the seasons get hard, we can't go at those seasons alone. And we're going to look at King David's drift briefly in 2 Samuel 11, if you want to turn there. I'm not going to read this verse for verse necessarily. I'm going to paraphrase it for us, um, just so we're not going through 30 verses up here. Uh, so we look at King David. He was home during a time of war. The scripture tells us that when kings are normally out at war during this season, David was at home. And that will be important in a moment. David saw a beautiful woman bathing from the roof of his palace. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told that she was the wife of Uriah, one of his senior men. And he sent his messengers to get her, and then he chose to sleep with her. Later, she would find out she was pregnant. So David comes up with this big masterful masterful plan after learning this, that he would bring Uriah back from the front lines. He would send him home to relax with his wife. But his plan would fall apart when Uriah comes back and refuses to go home. Instead, he chooses to sleep with the king's guard and stay with them. David even tries to get Uriah drunk, but he still chooses to stay with the king's guard. He said if his men were out on the front line, then how could he choose to go back home and be with his wife? Because of this, later David would send Uriah back to the war, to the front line where he would surely be killed. And sure enough, Uriah was. Later, David took Bathsheba as his wife. And so here we see this great great man, a man that uh, God would say is is a man after his own heart, slowly fade into adultery, murder, lying, makes this drift way off course, right? But, but if we look at the beginning of that story, it's, a, it's like a slow fade at first, right? It starts off making, David starting to make these innocent compromises uh, that all of a sudden quickly start to snowball and build upon each other, right? At first, it's just the compromise that David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Like David knew where he was supposed to be. 
But I imagine in the midst of war, for a king, the time, that's a hard time. That is a busy time. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. The scriptures tell us that he should be, have been at war with his men. He was at home napping in his palace. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He inquired into something he should never have inquired into. He saw Bathsheba bathing from the roof. He said, who is that? He inquired into something he should have never inquired into. He was alone in this moment, right? And the next thing you know, he does something he shouldn't have done and ends up drifting way off course really quickly. Right? But it all started with a, a series of small compromises. And I think that that's true in our life as well, that we don't wake up and make decisions where we choose to wreck our lives all of a sudden, where we choose to make this great, grandiose decision that is way off course and way out of our nature. I think we, we slip and we drift there by making small compromises. And isn't it true that once you make a small compromise, it's easier to make the next one? It's easier to make the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. And the next thing you know, you look up and you find yourself in a place that you never thought that you would be. And I think that is true in David. And here, uh, the scripture would later tell us that the Lord sent Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan and Nathan comes in and he connects with David and he he tells David this story of a, of a wealthy man who took advantage of a poor man. And that story infuriates David. Like, it gets him fired up to the bone, right? And then what, is your, or what does uh, Nathan do? He said, uh, David, you're that guy. Like, you're that, you're that man. And he calls him out. And David steps back and he says, oh my gosh, you're right. I've sinned against the Lord. Like, I give it to David for owning his mistake, but it took, it took a Nathan in his world to call him out. And friends, I, I gotta tell you, like, when we get in the midst of busy seasons and, and we're getting excited about all the good things, the things that are coming down the pipeline, when we're getting excited about all the busyness, we need Nathans to call us out. When we start to drift a little bit off course, we need a Nathan that are willing to have hard conversations with us, that are willing to call us out, and not just call us out, but also share in the joy and the excitement of the, the seasons, but that when we start to drift also and we get focused on those good things, that they're willing to be vulnerable with us, that we can have someone to be vulnerable with, and they're willing to help us course correct early on. It's kind of like a boat, right? If... Uh, if you got a boat and, and you start to drift a little bit off course, right? Well, at first, that's not that big of a deal. It's easy, to, it's easy to course correct and get back on track, right? But the longer you go off course, the longer you go unchecked, the longer and the harder it takes to get back on track. And we need Nathans in our lives to call us out when we start to drift. Let me ask you, do you have a Nathan in your life? Like, think about it for a moment. Do you have somebody that you can get vulnerable with and go deep with? Um, and maybe, maybe that's more like a group of people, right? I learned early on in my walk that I had to have a group of guys that I was walking intimately with and close with, that I had to go deep with them 
And that was what kept me on the straight and narrow, that when I went at things alone, I was a dangerous person. I had a tendency to drift. But when I had Nathans in my life, like, you want, you want some accountability in your life? Like, sign up some of your former, like, 300-pound, you know, bearded, powerlifting, strongman, Jesus-loving uh, buddies, strongman buddies, to call you out and, be, and hold you accountable. Like, that's some accountability right there. I learned early on that I needed that in my walk. And that today, like, what that looks like for me is we've got a group of guys that I meet with um, every uh, other Thursday night. And it's, a, it's, become, a, it's become a priority for, for me. Um, it's something that my wife and I, we've talked about, and she knows that, that this is something that's important. So I work really hard to make sure she feels supported with the kids before I can step away. But I've, 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 I've taken this mindset of, like, I have to be here because it's important and it matters. And there's a sense of urgency about it. And that's just what it looks like for me. For you, that might, that might be a life group. That might be your, um, you're your connecting to the people in the community through life group. Um, it may be another group of men or women, or uh, it may be a mentor of some sort of yours. Maybe you've got somebody that you, uh, you walk hand in hand with and you meet on a regular basis. Somebody who's gone just a little bit before you and has done a few things or experienced or gone through some similar things, and they can be there for you to encourage you along the way and to, and to give you a little nudge when you start to drift off course. And in, in, the, in the busy seasons, it gets, it gets easier for us to see those things as optional, of like, hey, I can't make tonight because I've got this, 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 and this coming up. It gets really easy for us to convince ourselves that that those things are optional, that meeting with those people, those Nathans in our life are optional. Well, can I just kind of challenge you today to maybe rethink that thought process, to, to rethink whether it's optional or not, and that, in fact, that the busier our lives get, the more important and more of a priority it actually is for us to meet with those people, to be vulnerable with them, to connect and go deep with them, and like, and some of you fellas may have just heard me say a cuss word on stage, right? I might have just said vulnerability and y'all heard me swear. No, but it's a, it, it was true for me at one point in time too. When I heard that word, I was like, <laughs> uh, I'm good, you know? But let me challenge you. Like, if you, when you think about it, if, if you want to, if you want to set, right? When you, when you look at, when I reflect on it, I see, I see, all, every major athlete in the world has a coach. Every major business person has got a mentor. Anyone who has done something phenomenal has had someone that has gone before them and that pours into them and that coaches them up and calls them out, shares in the joys and the encouragement, but they also keep them on track and they push them, right? When I see that and I reflect back, I'm a, John mentioned, I'm a sports guy. Like I played a lot of sports. I did some trauma stuff, some bodybuilding stuff. I've done a lot of the stuff. And when I look back in my life, every time I set a personal record on the bench press or on the squat or the deadlift, when I set a PR, right, I had a spotter there to help me just in case. I had a coach along the way to push me, right? And you want to get me fired up about some stuff? Like you want to talk about setting PRs in your faith, setting PRs in your family, setting a, a PR in this church, in your community, in the way in which you serve? You want to set some personal records in your life? You need a Nathan. So if you don't have a Nathan today, I challenge you just to think about who are some of those people in your life that you can 
connect to, and then maybe ask that question. Because if you don't have one, don't get frustrated that you don't have one. You have to be willing to ask. You have to be willing to connect. And so ask yourself, am I willing to connect? And if the answer is yes, pursue someone that has maybe gone just a little bit before you and who can partner with you and share in the joys and the encouragement of the busy seasons, but also call us out when we start to drift in the midst of the busy seasons. Last point for us today, um, we've got to keep, we've got to keep our hope in the right places. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a story about Cape St. George Lighthouse. It's off the uh, southern entrance of the um, Jervis Bay in Australia. And uh, it was commissioned to be built in 1856. And uh, when, it, when it was, it was commissioned to be built in this location, but the contractor uh, chose to build it in a different location because that different location was closer to the rock quarry. Uh, which makes sense, right? Like he's going to save time, money, energy, effort. Like we talked about some making small compromises that have big consequences earlier, right? He made a small compromise to build this lighthouse closer to the rock quarry so he could save a few bucks, right? Well, over the course of the next 30 years that that lighthouse would be in commission, it would cause ships to drift. They would put their trust in that lighthouse because they would see it on shore and say, oh, hey, look, there's the lighthouse. We're good. And when they wouldn't pay attention, they would drift into the rocks. It would lead them astray and cause them to crash. There was something like 30 crashes over the course, or 23 crashes over the course of the 30 years that it was in commission until they finally tore it down, moved it, and built it in the proper location. And isn't it true that we start to drift when we place our hope in things that are not designed to carry our hope. That when we put our hope in even seemingly good things, right? Like when we're hoping in, in health or family or work or the next promotion or in our kids' performance, whatever the case may be, these good things, right? Isn't it true that we start to drift off course when all of our hope lies in these things that were never designed to carry the weight of our hope. Let's look at Hebrews 6, 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. When we hope in God, when we hope in his promises that becomes a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I think this verse is extremely powerful. If we looked at it in the message version, really quick message paraphrase, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab at the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. You see, we start to drift when we put our hope in the wrong things. We start to drift off course. But when we put our hope in God, the Bible is super clear that it is a strong and trustworthy anchor for us. That it is our spiritual lifeline. Hope in God and his promises is, is, a, is a worthy place to put it. It is an anchor 
for us in the midst of busy seasons, in the midst of hard seasons. It is a spiritual lifeline. How powerful is that statement? A spiritual lifeline. I'm guessing there are some people in here today that, uh, that maybe have put their hope in, in the wrong things. And it, like I, I've been there and I've done it before. And that if you've put your hope in the wrong things, maybe you've been doing that for a little while or a long while. And, and there's some good things to be excited about this season. But if you've been putting your hope in something that's not God, you might be feeling your hope might be looking or that thing might be looking a little like that torn down lighthouse right now. Um, it's not looking the way you thought it would look. That maybe you feel like we've been talking about a, a slow drift most of the morning, but maybe you're feeling uh, like you've been drifting for a long time. Maybe you've been uh, that, one, that boat that's one or two clicks off, but you feel like you've been going one or two clicks off for, for a while. And you've starting to feel a little a little helpless. And you know, we've been talking about getting off the right course, getting away from the right things. Maybe you feel like you've drifted so far. You've put your hope in something that wasn't designed to carry your hope. That you're feeling helpless and you can't even see the right course anymore. You can't even see the right path. You're feeling helpless. Like, you know, friends, can I, can I tell you that I know what that feeling is like to feel helpless and kind of drifting and lost? I, uh, you know, I told you I was a football guy growing up. Uh, I told you that, uh, you know, that was one of my favorite things. And I briefly mentioned that I didn't have a huge support system at home. Uh, but truth is, my life wasn't just full of football and prep rallies and all of that good fun stuff that comes with high school football. Um, but that it was also filled with anxiety and depression, uh, mental illness, and, and even suicide. That. Uh, every day after football practice, I would come home and not really know what I was coming home to. That it was more than one occasion, I would come home and instead of finding mom on, in the kitchen prepping dinner, I'd find mom on the couch, barely able to find a pulse. That, that was my reality through junior high and high school. That mom had some psychiatric stuff going on and some mental illness stuff and, and she would try to find a sense of normalcy or something to just make her feel better in, in prescription medications and in anxiety medications, and then she'd mix it with alcohol, and it would just get really, really nasty. And that my dad, not really knowing how to deal with that and uh, struggling with lifelong uh, pain that he dealt with on a daily basis with his back, would um, take uh, pain pills uh, to, to cope with that prescription. But when they would wear off, he would mix in a little alcohol to help pop it off, to get him there. And that one or two drinks more led to a lot more. And that by the time I was about 12, he was a full-fledged alcoholic. So amidst those things, I, I remember what it's like to have hope in the next rehab that we would go to, the next mental institution that they would be sent into, the, the next hospital, the next surgery, like hope and hope and hope and wish only to be let down again and again. And isn't that true? That when we hope in the things that are in this world, that we get let down more often than not. And on those, those are on good days, right? That, that we're only, when we're hoping in things that are, that are not God, that we are let down, that's on good days. On bad days, we end up shipwrecked, right? And through the midst of those 
struggles and those years, I ended up losing them both to their own struggles, to those illnesses. Uh, buried them both by 26, mom at 21, dad at 26. And I would find myself through that, through that journey, drifting off course, looking for comfort in things that were never designed to give me comfort, looking for hope in things that were never designed to give me hope, feeling helpless. But, isn't that great? Isn't that a great word in scripture? But, right? But, that is not the way that God intended life to be. We look at Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a hope and a future. Friends, can I tell you that you may be feeling a little helpless, you may be feeling a little drift. It's never too late to course correct. And you may be feeling helpless, but you are not hopeless. It says here that God has plans for us that are good, not for disaster, to give us a future and a hope. This is a promise from the Lord. And what does Hebrews 6, 19 tell us? That these promises are a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That they are a spiritual lifeline for us. How encouraging is that? You may be feeling helpless, but you are not hopeless. God has plans to give you a future and a hope. And he will not let you down. How encouraging is that message for us? Friends, it's, a, it's an incredible time of year. Like a, a time of year that we are, our seasons are full of all these really, really good things and exciting things and things that we should, we should be excited about and we should be looking forward to. Things that uh, are all good, right? But let's, let's not let those good things cause us to drift. Let's not let those good things cause us to fall off.